Welcome to Analytics for Society, the podcast where we discuss how data can be used to help benefit the greater good of society with leading experts in this field. I'm your host, Jon Seglam, Managing Director in SAS Institute. According to the UN, we only have 11 years to prevent the worst impacts of climate change. The transition to inclusive green economies demands a significant shift in the way our economies are managed, measured and governed. As it stands for most countries and companies, innovation is reckoned to be key to be able to reach the sustainable development goals in time. Today, we will be discussing how analytics and AI can support a greener economy and a transition that is fast, fair and green enough. Our special guest today is Rune Haukuri, Director of Sustainability at Arkobio Marine. Thank you for joining our podcast. Thank you. So Rune, can you give us a short introduction to Arkobio Marine and your role? Yes. Thank you for inviting us. To participate in this. This is a topic that we are very engaged in at Aquabiomarine. So Aquabiomarine is an innovative global biotech company in rapid growth. We have built our business on harvesting and developing a new marine ingredient, Antarctic krill. Uh, we develop krill-based ingredients for nutraceutical, aquaculture and animal feed applications. At Aquabiomarine, we own and operate a very complex value chain spanning from krill harvesting in Antarctica through to science and marketing and sales in the global marketplace for omega-3 products. Today we operate three fishing vessels, transshipment vessel and a logistics hub in Montevideo and a krill oil processing factory in Houston. And our HQ is here at uh, in Oslo or in, at Fornebu, Aquaquartale. Uh, we also have sales and marketing offices in Europe, Asia and in North America. So very much a global company, but very rooted in Norway. Uh, my role, I'm the director of sustainability and actually also public affairs. The purpose of Aquabiomarine is to improve human and planetary health. And since 2016, we have worked systematically on four selected uh, sustainable development goals, SDGs, and they're very much integrated into our corporate strategy. Uh, I like to say across these four SDGs that we have two SDGs that we work systematically on to reduce our negative footprint. This is SDG 14, Life Below Water. We work systematically and we spend a lot of effort on our sustainability impact and sort of our performance in our fisheries to support SDG 14, Life Below Water. Uh, SDG 12, responsible consumption and production. From a sustainability point of view, it's beautiful that we are a virtually integrated company because we own and operate the full value chain. So this allows us to actually drive sustainability improvements and try and lead by example in all parts of this value chain. Also, it's important, I think, for any company really wanting to work strategically with sustainability, not just having a grasp on the responsibility and industrial footprint side, but also try and look for opportunities in sustainability trends. And for us, this opportunity is really to try and strengthen our positive handprint, as we call it, through our product offering, really. So we have selected two SDGs that we believe comply with this ambition. SDG 2, Zero Hunger. So krill is a very efficient and valuable marine ingredient into aquaculture feed. Also SDG 3, to promote health and well-being through the very health benefits of krill oil products for humans and pets. So working systematically in this strategic way, sort of measuring tangible impact towards these selected SDGs allows us to address sustainability improvements and opportunities across all parts of our organization and business activity. So going back to my role as a director of sustainability, the responsibility rests with me to engage, advise on, help grind through really this focus on sustainability across the organization. And I have to say, people are very passionate about our purpose. We see this not 
just with employees, existing employees, but also in recruitment to attract new talent, particularly younger talent, that this purpose-driven strategy to improve human and planetary health, this sort of very visible focus on sustainability is a corporate asset for us also in, in the war on talent. Yeah, I think as well, you know, the fisheries and agriculture industry is actually Norway's largest export industry after oil and gas. So if you go to Akabu Marine, you know, you're owned by Akar Asa, an investment company with most of its portfolio invested in oil and gas related companies. Why this interesting krill? <laughs> yes, it is true that Akar Asa today has most of its portfolio invested in oil and gas uh, related companies, but it's important to remember the very strong heritage within fisheries. So Akabu Marine is a young company uh, we were officially formed in 2006. We could never have been developed without this experience that was already in the Acker system of fisheries and offshore operations, really. So without this experience, the know-how in our system and the persistent belief of our owner in the potential of krill as a valuable resource. So since the outset of our Antarctic operations back in 2006, we have developed and industrialized and commercialized this value chain all by ourselves. This has required very large investments and a lot of trying and failing and then trying again to get things right. And having a long-term owner in Acker Asa with long-term vision has been vital to Acker Biomarine's development. So you're really one of the industrial investments of Acker Asa, you know, something an industry they want to invest in and build. Yes. Hmm. There's been a very persistent belief in the potential of krill as uh, an ingredient for a market in growth, which is the omega-3 market. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure interesting. And I, I think especially when you see that the, you know, the UN just in, issued an alarming report predicting worldwide starvation by 2050, if we don't drastically change how and what we eat, do you see marine resources like krill become popular for human consumption? Well, that's a very interesting debate you're lifting. We know that by 2050, we will be around 10 billion people on the planet. The Global Footprint Network estimates that food production will need to increase by nearly 70% over these coming 30 plus years. And already today, we see alarming findings on the resource strain of land-based food production. It's not just CO2 emission, it's the broader resource footprint, really. The pressure on resources like fresh water, for example, or deforestation to make room for more agriculture. I mean, the burning Amazon being the worst example right now. So yes, I firmly believe that we have to look for the oceans for food and nutrients to feed a growing world. The ocean covers around 70% of our planet. I think the most updated numbers is around 6.7% of proteins for humans is currently being harvested from the seas. I do not think krill alone will be the species that will uh, be changing our future diets. The krill fishery is very strictly and precautionary regulated. In fact, the whole fleet in Antarctica is only allowed to take out less than 1% of the biomass available for harvest in this area around the Antarctic Peninsula where we are allowed to fish. Today, it's actually around less than half a percent that is being taken out. So our growth ambitions are still within this 1% of biomass quota. However, I do think that we must and we will harvest the oceans in a more varied way and also at more trophic levels. And the krill harvest is a good example of this. I also very much believe that we need to grow and further enhance the aquaculture industry globally because the world will need aquaculture uh, like we have farmed the lands for centuries already. I think it's very important to note though that we are facing a big paradox. We know that we need to harvest our oceans more and in a more varied way but at the same time so many fisheries are completely mismanaged today 
And ocean health, at least many areas of the world, is in really poor condition as a result of human mismanagement. I mean, plastic waste in, or just waste in general in the ocean is one very good example of this. So this calls for true industry leadership. And this is something we discuss a lot in Akabaymarin, actually. We also talked about, you know, krill oil and a lot about the health effects of krill oil. So I, I know you're very passionate about this subject, <laughs> but could, could, you, could you elaborate a little bit on the effects that actually studies have shown? Yeah, part of us, um, the part of the fact that we have had to develop uh, this whole value chain and marketplace even for krill products ourselves. Resulting from that is also that we have a very large and competent science department in-house in Akabai Marine. It sits out at Fornebu. We see many and significant positive health effects of krill oil actually, also in comparison with other fish oils. So krill oil has many health benefit applications and it's due to the unique and natural composition of omega-3s which also you find in other fish oils, EPA and DHA, but also phospholipids, choline and astaxanthin. So our science shows very positive effects of krill oil, both on brain, eyes, heart, liver, joints and skin. Well, it's an impressive list. Yes. In the household, I'm sure it's uh, the same thing, you know, back at your uh, home, uh, Runa, we give Tron. Yeah. to kids, you know, mm. to, 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 you know, compensate for the lacking sun in the winter, winter yeah. months in Norway. Yeah. Is that the same thing as, as krill oil? Is that the same thing as Tron or is it a different thing? Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, uh, Tron is a product from uh, fish liver. So it's a fish oil product. Krill oil is from krill and krill lives uh, a bit lower in the food chain and it has a different obviously composition as it is a crustacean not a fish but yes what our science actually shows is that krill oil which is a very premium product in the market has uh, some additional benefits to traditional fish oils uh, and this is due to this composition that also includes uh, phospholipids choline and astaxanthin mm. uh, actually a fun fact on omega-3 I'm quoting now a study from 2016 that was published in Progress in Lipid Research (laughs) found that 97% of the world population 97% of the world population has below the optimal level of omega-3s in their body and particularly those who have adapted to the westernized food habits eating very little fish and seafood so there is obviously an enormous market scope for omega-3 offerings So in the modern world, we often talk about data being the new oil, you know, but it seems like krill could be the new oil for Acker. I read a new market research from Stats and Reports about the global blue biotechnology market, and it's expected to show tremendous growth in the coming years. But is it really possible to break the link between growth and increased resource use? It's a known fact that each past industrial revolution has borrowed from the future to pay for the present by achieving economic growth through the degradation of our planet's health. So in your perspective, Runa, how can today's technology revolution break this pattern, you know, and the first time deliver sustainable economic growth? That's a very big and important question, and I'm not going to attempt to give you a definite answer to that. (laughs) I think no one actually can, and if they do, I think it's perhaps because they've failed to take into account the full spectrum of nuances. But I will offer some reflections. So personally, I don't think I'm typically a technology optimist, I have to say, but I do not think that technological innovation alone will solve all of those challenging sustainability issues ahead of us climate change, resource strains, loss of biodiversity. 
but I do believe that technology holds an essential key to improvements. So two things. One promising development is this fauna of new business models that are simply built around solving environmental or other sustainability related problems. Technology is very often the core of these new business models. Secondly, I think technology is essential in reducing the industrial footprint of existing businesses. And this will drive a crucial incremental improvement, I think, across all industries. And I think uh, it's already becoming a competitive advantage for those that move first. An example for us being a company that aims works hard to move first across our value chain. Uh, one such example will be our vessel fleet. So we have currently operate three vessels down in Antarctica. These are big industrial trawlers. Of course, the vessels, they are still mainly run on fossil fuels, but we do make a range of expensive concept choices to make them more energy efficient and less polluting. For our newest trawler, Antarctic Endurance, that was just, uh, she's just finished her first season in Antarctica, we expect a 30% reduction in fuel per ton of harvested krill. So that's mm. quite substantial. And this is important. So obviously to reduce our footprint in Antarctica, it is the right thing to do, but it also makes business sense. It's expensive to make all these concept choices and sort of picking the technology from the top shelf. But it does reduce fuel costs and our OPEX for decades ahead, really. We are very well positioned now for a more strict regime on maritime emissions. We expect it coming and we welcome it. And sort of uh, the planet and profit perspective, they go hand in hand here. And we find that they often do, not in the short term, perhaps, but in the long term perspective, it makes business sense. So Akabio Marine's operations, you navigate the biologically and politically sensitive fishery as well, you know, harvesting in the pristine Antarctica waters. I feel like uh, rather than avoiding the, the debate, you kind of like welcome the debate and you, you're ready to jump straight in. You also have a background, Runa, from Beluna, yes. a mental foundation. How do you feel the NGOs view Akabio <laughs> Marine? Can you share some of the work you do and investments you make, you know, to operate on the sustainable course? You, you touched upon it briefly earlier as well. In describing how uh, Aquabiomarine works with uh, innovation as a driver for sustainability or sustainability work and positioning, I'd like to quote uh, this uh, American computer scientist, actually, Alan Kay, who says that the best way to predict the future is to invent it yourself. And I think this describes very well how we have been working with innovation to drive sustainability improvements from the outset of our company's history. And this is core sustainability work for us. So stakeholder management, uh, this ongoing dialogue that you refer to with both regulatory authority for Antarctica, which is called Camelar, uh, our own national authorities, various science organizations, both Norwegian, but also international ones, particularly Australians, as they are near uh, Antarctica, relatively, but also NGOs. This is a very important part of our sustainability efforts. So this whole public affair element is a very important part of our sustainability work. Uh, as I mentioned, we partnered with WWF back in 2003 when Akabai Marine was still just an Acre an project and it was not a formal company. So what, why did you partner with them? Uh, to do things right from the outset. And this was, as I said, this was an imperative also from our owners that if we were to do this, we were to do this right. If you look at history down in the Southern Ocean in Antarctica, 
uh, human interaction has doesn't have a good track record. It comes to whaling, also early days of krill harvesting, way before we were active down there. So if you are to operate industrially in Antarctica, you need to do it right. At least we are very strict in that uh, sense for ourselves. So we partnered with WWF before we set the first trawl into the ocean. Another key innovation early on was that we patented our eco-harvesting trawl technology, which takes our bycatch to near zero. And this was developed on the basis of harvesting experience, long fishing experience of people in the aqua system. So I hope and I believe that the NGOs regard us as a serious partner. From my background in Beluna, I know the force and sort of importance of industry players taking a lead within their industry. I believe, I hope several NGOs regard Aquabiomarine to be this kind of company. I mean, we stand very firm in our decision to collaborate with, not fight against the marine protection interests in Antarctica that are strong. Uh, last year, we actually even entered a commitment of voluntary restrictive zones where we don't fish during the penguins breeding seasons, even if these areas are within our regulated harvesting areas. So this is going well beyond regulations. So operating alongside a very precautionary regulatory regime, as well as marine protection interests, this is very much a part of our operational uh, reality. Also, I would like to highlight the collaboration we have with science, uh, science organizations. Uh, We contribute quite significantly to strengthen the science and knowledge base around Antarctica. We do this through in-kind contributions, setting our vessels at disposal for science one week annually, and also invite scientists on board during seasons. I mean, our uh, vessels are very modern. They have in-house laboratories, uh, very good facilities. We have the Antarctic Wildlife Research Fund, AWR, where several NGOs sit on the board, actually. So Aquabiomarine has donated one million US dollars over five years to uh, we make this available in annual donation rounds for scientists that want to conduct science on the Antarctic wildlife. Uh, and we administer the fund. So, so kind of like the decision made in 2003 and, you know, the ongoing investments yep. you do here is not just to be showing your green but actually it's part of the business. Yeah, it's part of the business. Uh, It's part of really knowledge about Antarctica is important for us as well. Data collection in Antarctica, I mean, just science on other predators, not just krill, but the whole ecosystem down there is is very important to us. Um, Any don't know is a potential no for us. It's very much in our strategic interest as well to contribute to the knowledge base on on Antarctica and also I think not so many companies or not so many people get access to go down there at all. So our presence, if we can use our presence to actually contribute beyond just our own operations, I think this is a substantial part of our positive handprint that I talked about. Yeah. I just want to move us a bit on to, you know, you, we touched upon data now, you know, data being a foundation for knowing more, you know, the science and all that. And, you know, Canada was the first country to release kind of like their national AI strategy and several others has followed. Denmark announced their AI strategy back in March and now the new AI strategy for Norway is happening. Do you and Barco Marine engage in those AI strategies, national AI strategies, or do you believe it m- will make a difference? 
Do you have any perspective on that? Yeah, well, from a sustainability point of view, I mean, the application of technology and sort of the policy framework around it, this is an obvious part of the equation. So this issue, I had to discuss it with my highly qualified colleague, Ole Thoresen, who is the director of digitalization and process improvements in Aquabiomarine, as it's sort of outside my professional scope a little bit, but we both favor regulations. So Ole's point was this Iron Man, you know, strong and good by technology, but controlled by mankind versus Terminator, Skynet, this machine in control of itself gone evil kind of mm. thing. So without regulations, perhaps we might be heading more towards a Terminator whilst Iron Man is really what we need. For my part, on this note, I, I quote a writer that really inspires me and that I think is really takes the pulse of our contemporary time, which is not very easy to take the pulse on. And that's the Oxford professor Yuval Harari. So he says humans were always far better at inventing tools than using them wisely. And I think that's a very relevant quote for this perspective or this issue. Uh, And I actually think companies like SaaS, companies that have thorough knowledge and sort of build a solid business model in the core of the development of machine learning, I think you have a particularly big responsibility to this end. Yeah. I fully agree. We also had some really good discussions on this earlier in another podcast around health, you know, health data and all that. So it's a uh, ethical dilemmas connected to analytics and AI. It's a it's a big topic in itself. Yeah. So let's move on to innovation. I think I just want to start by congratulating you as, mm-hmm. as a very high ranking, <laughs> uh, one of Norway's most innovative companies this year and also ranked Europe's most innovative company last year. That's truly really impressive. So w- what is kind of like driving your innovation? Well, I guess it comes down to the people and culture. Quite a few truly passionate people have been contributing to building the culture of Aquabiomarine. Luckily, as we are a young company, many of these people are actually still in our company today. I've heard our CEO Mats Johansson say that innovation is about meeting a need and the organization's ability to enable ideas. So I think from the outset, uh, innovation and entrepreneurship has been an integral part of the Aquabiomarine DNA, just from how the krill is harvested and processed to the type of products it becomes. So I would say the atmosphere of the company is very dynamic and fast-paced. It's characterized by openness, willingness to pursue fresh ideas and new ways of working. And each person has a great extent of autonomy in his or her role. I just have to comment as well, because I I just recently saw a video on Facebook by your CEO and an EVP shouting Klimabrölle to each other. Yes. You know, and that's kind of like, it's (laughs) opening up for good friction in the company. Yes. And on that note, I would say, uh, having worked uh, with my background, both as a consultant for companies on environmental improvements or sustainability improvements, having worked uh, in Belluna, collaborating with a lot of companies, and now from the inside of Aquabiomarine, the importance of engagement at the top management level for the sustainability sort of ambition. I mean, we've taken it all the way by actually defining our purpose around sustainability. But this is really, I think, a prerequisite uh, to succeed engaging employees and having like going all the way in integrating sustainability strategically into the business model and making it a competitive advantage. Yeah. And this is very much uh, the case with both uh, Mats Johansson, CEO, and uh, Sigve that you saw, the yeah. EVP, 
roaring in that film. Yeah. I think, you know, if you ask, if you look to leaders, we're asked to think big and bigger to succeed with not only innovation, but also radical transformation. And we often see, in my perspective, technology might be here to support it, but often organizations lack skills to leverage the technology and to change the organizations fast enough. So in terms of, we talked about innovation, Aquabu Marine, but how do you acquire new knowledge and secure the know-how needed in the company, not only now, but also for the future? Yeah. In fact, as Director of Sustainability and Public Affairs, I am part of a department in Aqua Biomarine that we call Transformation. And the Transformation Department has its own purpose, and I just wanted to read that to you. We enable ideas, opportunities, and the future of Aqua Biomarine. We empower people and build engagement to create a culture of trust and transparency. We challenge the status quo, all to improve business performance. Finally, every person within Biomarine knows how their efforts help improve human and planetary health. So the key point here is really that when the rest of the organization and the management capacity other way, like in other parts of the company is fully occupied with just operational issues from day to day, we work on the foresight and the long-term positioning of Biomarine. I want to quote a survey done by PVC in this matter. Using AI for environmental applications in just four key industries, agriculture, energy, transport, and water, could contribute up to 5.2 trillion US dollars to the global economy and reduce worldwide emissions by 4% by 2030. So you mentioned the use of AI earlier in Aquabu Marine. How are you leveraging the technology, AI, machine learning, and where do you see this moving forward? Uh, so I would say... This focus is very much present across optimizing our full value chain. We have substantial machine learning projects going both on towards our vessels to reduce our industrial footprint, take down our carbon footprint, print in Antarctica as well. Uh, also in our process industry, the land-based plant in Houston, and in our sort of overall infrastructure to cre- create a unified data model that correctly describes all our data across our value chain. But perhaps particularly relevant to this context is how we work with big data and machine learning to optimize the sustainability of our fisheries. Mm. So we believe that big data is really the future of fisheries and sustainable fisheries management. It will make us able to collect and collate data for more efficient operations. And uh, it will also give the fisheries managers better decision-making tools. Actually, we do some very exciting innovation towards this end right now. Uh, in collaboration with science, both the Institute for Marine Research here in Norway and the Norwegian Polar Institute, and uh, aligned with the camelard that regulates marine uh, species in Antarctica. So this is called feedback managing. It's really about using catch data from our fisheries combined with advanced and continuous acoustic measurements as an information stream into science-based fisheries management. And that we use this dynamic data to define a more ecosystem-based regulatory regime. So this regime, it will also be tailored to consider other parts of the local ecosystem, for example, other predators. And I truly believe that our work in this field will have learning effects and positive impact far beyond our own krill fisheries. Is, is it fair to say you're trying to kind of listen to nature, listen to, you know, all the other kind of like yeah. both predators in the, in the ocean, but also the signals that the ocean is trying to send to you? Well, perhaps at least I think, I mean, To have an ecosystem-based fishery management regime that has really been uh, a best case priority and ambition for long. But this, um, the more dynamic possibilities that data collection and big data uh, offers, I think offers an opportunity to take this 
some very important steps uh, further. And for us, this is a core part of our uh, sustainability leadership as a, as a fishing company. Data is our friend. So no data is our enemy because any unknown what if will always be used against us uh, and allow for conclusions to be made on flawed grounds, especially perhaps from interests who do not collect or fund any data themselves. I think, you know, SAS is also a very science-driven company. And I think I really respect the way you're actually embracing science in your business development. And I think also, you know, going from the gut feeling decisions to efficient and evidence-based decision-making. Yeah. It's kind of like a key trend we see, and it's also going to drive business results for you. Yes, so. definitely. I also want to just highlight one fun example that we have. It's called the Sailboy. So we use a Sailboy, an unmanned ocean vehicle, uh, which we think will be a bit of a game changer for us and other f- also for others operating in faraway areas where the sort of regular surveillance of biomass and stock distribution is, is challenging. So this little sailboy, we can deploy it close to our vessels and it will do the searching for us or we can let it cover big areas for months at a time to investigate whether it's uh, worth going for krill there. Uh, or even we can have it out uh, unmanned to let it go around for a whole season and collect data only working on solar energy and communicating with us via the internet. So this is um, a very dear gadget in our mm. portfolio investment portfolio now. Yeah. So one of the areas that we work with in SaaS is supporting companies to achieve better quality in their operations and services. For example, improving their forecast accuracy. I personally see a lot of value in cross-industry innovation, taking learning from one customer in one industry and applying it for innovation elsewhere. Do you believe any of the learnings you have from from leveraging machine learning or or data could be leveraged also in other industries? Yes, I firmly believe so. Um, As an industry player operating in Antarctica specifically, we must, to a much larger extent than others, contribute to the development of the fishery management, for example, through data collection and to ensure the sustainability of the fishery. And the innovations that we are progressing, I'm quite convinced that we'll this will have learning effects also outside our own fisheries, perhaps particularly our data-driven innovation, uh, both to reduce our industrial footprint and also to enhance the sustainability of fisheries management. I feel it's uh, about time for me to, to quote uh, Ban Ki-moon, uh, president and chair of the Global Green Growth Institute. He said once, we need to work across governments, organizations, boundaries and sectors to improve our environment and daily lives. The tasks are too great for one country or organization, so we need to work together. What's your perspective on that, Runa? Uh, I very much agree with Ban Ki-moon on this. <laughs> the problem with, for example, climate change is that everyone thinks someone else will go and fix it, but no one else really does necessarily. Uh, I think uh, we've come to this point where uh, business has no option but to be a force for change. We try to push this agenda, particularly through the Association for Responsible Krill Harvesting Companies, ARC, where we are a very active member, Um, but also more broadly as a harvesting company. So we always keep a tight eye on our own competitiveness and getting our business going. Of course we do. I mean, sustainable business is about these three Ps, people, planet and profit. So putting ourselves out of business would certainly not be pushing the sustainability agenda. But we believe that organizational growth and pushing a broader society agenda can live well alongside each other. Uh, The krill industry in Antarctica, where we are the most significant player, is a positive force in the sense that we collect or facilitate the collection of ecosystem information that would otherwise be inaccessible. Who knows, we might uh, be heading towards a future management regime of no data, no fishery, 
which would be fine with us. We are equipped for this kind of ecosystem-based transparency. And on this note, actually, I also want to highlight the efforts made across the broader Acker family. So you might have heard of Rev and Rev Ocean. There's now this Ocean Data Platform Foundation, and there's a collaboration across the companies, including Cognite, that you might know. The vision of the Ocean Data Platform Foundation is one healthy and productive ocean through data liberation. And the CEO, Bjorn Toro Markusen, came from DMV GL, where he was in charge of building up the Veracity Ocean Data Platform with vast number of users. And he has shared some very interesting experiences and reflections on the issue of data and society benefits to target and focus data collection and applications on the demand side, not the supply side of data, because data alone has little value. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting perspective. I think if you if you look at data and data liberation, that's one thing, but also are we willing to share knowledge and solutions for the greater good before our own organizational growth? Is that what you're trying to accomplish as well with the Data Liberation Foundation? Yeah, well, and that's not a, a company as such. I mean, that's more like a, a foundation with a societal purpose. So obviously for us, Marine, this will be a different story, but we do go far in promoting openness around cash data, for example, through the ARC uh, Association for uh, Krill Harvesters. Uh, we try and, and push the openness agenda as far as we can. But of course, also, we need to, to ask the questions um, around uh, business uh, sensitivity versus openness of data. Yeah. So from our conversations today, it's apparent that there is a huge potential for analytics and AI to help companies succeed with the green shift. And I've learned a lot about krill. I read somewhere that a single blue whale eats four to eight tons of krill every day. Only the future will reveal how much we as humans will consume. So Runa, if you go back to the tip side of this uh, podcast, what are your top three tips for other organizations wanting to embrace data and AI and analytics for their innovation? For this one, I will fully lean on the experiences of my colleague, uh, Ole Thoresen, who is the Director of Digitalization and Process Improvements in Akaba Marine. He has worked intensely on setting frames and direction for our data-driven innovation during the past years. So one, first and foremost, have a clear roadmap of issues problems and questions that you think data analytics and machine learning can have a role to play and work with the business on understanding these and solving them one by one. Secondly, to think short term and solve the simple, relevant and valuable use cases that people struggle with today. Third, at the same time, think long term and build a data infrastructure that harvests and structures the data, which according to Ole is the most challenging, in a way that future use cases can employ this data with ease, even though we don't really know what these use cases are today. I think also, um, if you look to the examples you've shown today, you know, the balance between sustainability and business success, and the way that Aquabiorean has incorporated sustainability into the business development is a leading example for others. Runa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. You have been listening to the Analytics for Society podcast, where we have been discussing how AI can support innovation and sustainable growth in the new green economy for the greater good of our planet and society. Tune in to our other episodes to learn more about how AI can help your business with social innovation and transformation, while at the same time benefit the greater good of society.